0: Experience an interfaith learning center, a sacred community, and a spiritual home at One Spirit to be of service in today's rapidly changing world. Explore opportunities in seminary, interspiritual companioning, and counseling certificate programs, and experiential community workshops and events throughout the year. Visit onespirit.org to discover what's possible. That's one, the number one spirit.org/encounter. Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Learn more about us and our work on our website, SDICompanions.org. Our latest book release from SDI Press is now available. Reflections on Awakening and Maturity for Spiritual Companions by Genjo Marinello. Genjo's fascinating book chronicles his lifelong and ongoing commitment to spiritual growth through thick and thin, as well as a courageous embrace of many difficulties, shortcomings, and flaws. Genjo composts all of these into assets, establishing them as the building blocks for his own ongoing spiritual growth and evolution, and by extension for ours. In the process, he engages with numerous spiritual companions and models, most notably the Buddha, Saint Teresa of Avila, and the Zen ox herding pictures. They reveal insights and challenges both easy and joyful, along with some quite difficult and painful. In this conversation, Genjo and Executive Director, Reverend Seifu Anil Singh Molaris, discuss this new book.
1: All right, Genjo. So congratulations on your new book, um, Reflections on Awakening and Maturity for Spiritual Companions. And so I'm going to start with a, with a really easy, what I hope is a really easy question, which is why did you write this book?
2: I wrote it because spiritual companions have been absolutely essential in my own unfolding of of my psychological and spiritual development. And without them, how could we possibly um, grow? We, we'd be reinventing the wheel entirely. We're so lucky that we have such a thing as companions and language and that we don't have to reinvent the wheel and our companions uh, engage with us in a way that is a catalyst for our growth and we need each other and we're interdependent and so it's a story of the most significant companions in my spiritual and psychological growth it it goes all the way from my birth to 2021. And I'm happy to share the bumps in the road that we all face when we're growing up.
1: Yeah, so, so your book is, you, you just mentioned it has, it's basically your autobiography. And yet it's much more than just your autobiography. It's kind of like everyone's autobiography. Um, so there's particular lessons that you've learned in your own life and particular challenges that you've had in your in your youth and your upbringing, some very difficult challenges, and yet they're also universal challenges. And so I wonder if you can speak a little bit about um, why your story might be everybody's story. Well, I often
2: say that We're the most complex creature, not just on the planet, but in probably a whole quadrant of the galaxy. I think this level of complexity represented in in the human species is hard to find anywhere. And just think about our maturation from an infant to a young adult, let alone further into, adulthood and and late maturity it just takes so long there isn't any other creature that needs so much nurturing in order to be out on their own not a single creature Everybody, almost all other creatures on this planet are born a whole lot more ready than we are uh, and don't take nearly as long of um, very close nurturing in order to be able to potentially make it on their own or be out in the in the world or society, uh, whatever society that might be, and uh, so that complexity is what unites us. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have my bumps and my complexity, and everybody has their bumps and their complexity. And how does that um, work with our unfolding and our development? It's it's a bumpy road for any species, in particular, our species, and, uh, and then we have this interesting capacity of awakening to something well beyond our species, our personal identity and our species identity, and what do you do with that, and how do you integrate that, and so this is a, a common story for all of us.
1: Yeah, yeah you, you, you just mentioned awakening, and, and the title of the book is Awakening and Maturity, and um, a lot of people would assume that awakening and maturity are one and the same. And in your book, it's very clear that they are, although they're related, they're very distinct. Uh, can you say a little more about that distinction?
2: Well, we're, you know, every phase of our life, it it feels like a, a new life in a way, because we've awakened to spirituality, awakened to sexuality, or we awakened to um, companionship. We've even awakened to, or very early on, that we're not our mother. Uh, I mean, these are different levels of awakening. And Each one is a represents layer, kind of represents a a growth spurt. But then, how do you integrate it? That's the maturing uh, process, and it's and it's when you open up a um, a whole new vista uh, at birth. In um, when you're a teenager, when you're a young adult, when you're a parent, a whole new vista opens up. And uh, how do you integrate that? You've got a new Vista, but what do you do with it? It's very bumpy because you're not in the old orbit, all of a sudden you're in a new orbit. And and it's difficult to learn how to integrate the new Vista. So awakening is expanding our Vista or our uh, conscious awareness of something bigger than our narrow idea of self wherever that is it expands eventually it expands to where you can't even find where you leave off and the rest of the world or spirit begins and how do you integrate that because well who am i then and and that's a core question that's addressed in a way throughout the book
1: there are beings who are wide awake right i mean you can kind of feel the universal line in their every step. And yet that alertness and awakeness and mindfulness and harmony um, does not translate into ethical action. So I want to explore a little more how that paradox can possibly be. Um, how, how can it be that you awaken to to your place in the in time and space, across time and space, and beyond it, and yet can be a mm, immature and maybe in some instances even criminally corrupt. How can that be?
2: Well, when we pop into a new vista and see things clearly in some new kind of realm or uh, awakening, it. It leads to something that is referred to as spiritual bypassing where you can get by on the the information and the mindfulness that comes with the new vista, but then end up ignoring developmental gaps or even places of arrested development. You just are able to carry them more easily without dealing with them or integrating them or combusting them or digesting them. And in some ways, if you awaken too quickly, it's like you've got this big umbrella uh, under which you can walk and you don't realize that it's raining shit. Um, and, uh, And you feel enlightened because you're under this big, umbrella of this new Vista, but uh, you're leaving a trail of uh, destruction behind you because uh, your personal actions are uh, not integrated with the new Vista. And in fact, you've exposed your own uh, trials, tribulations, and, and limitations, but you're not dealing with them.
1: Yeah, so, so that's, that's strange because it sounds like awakening can be a liability rather than a revelation. And, and so so which one's easiest, the awakening or maturity?
2: Awakening is far easier. <laughs> Why is that? <clears throat> because it's a, what separates us be, between awakening is our own conceptual delusions of self and other. And those are relatively easy to dissolve because they're self constructions And when they dissolve, it's not its not that hard. It, they can fall pretty fast. But that doesn't mean there's been integration with any um, gaps or arrested development. It just means that the the barriers, artificial barriers that we construct ourselves between self and other have dissolved or become transparent and that constitutes awakening. That's really relatively easy because these, it's only concepts that we have constructed along the way about self and other and this
1: and that.
0: Genjo Maranello Roshi began his Zen training in 1975 and moved to Seattle in 1976. In 1999, Genjo became the second abbot of the Seattle Zen Temple Choboji and became a Dharma heir in his lineage of Rinzai Zen in 2008. Genjo has been a member of the University Friends Meeting since 1983. In 1989, Genjo completed a certificate program in spiritual direction. And for several years, Genjo was the volunteer Buddhist pastor of the Twin Rivers Correction Center in Monroe, Washington.
1: Let's talk a little bit about um, some, some of the people, uh, some of the other companions that you have in the book. And there's a section in the book where you speak about uh, Teresa of Adela and her interior castle and the tens and Ox hurting uh, pictures and what they represent. And that's in a very unusual combination. Um, why those two and why did they go together in, in your view?
2: I suspect if I explored deeply other maps of spiritual awakening or spiritual unfolding or spiritual integration, that I could find parallels with all of them. Uh, and these are two that I've studied relatively deeply. And it was easy to find these parallels, even though they were written in different centuries and in, on different continents and by different genders. So even though they're written in different generations, different genders, different continents, different religions, different centuries, the parallels are really easy to see uh, because I think... Uh, spiritual awakening is is like an unfolding of a flower people are going to describe that process differently or look at the the it's really you're dividing something that's a smooth relatively smooth transition but you're you make gates or um in the xenox pictures or in the interior count, count there's different rooms and each room is an expanded uh, vista or horizon and even the barriers between the rooms are artificial but there's a way to describe like different orbits almost like different orbits of an of an electron uh, moving out from the nucleus it can be at different stages and so they're kind of discrete and yet they all overlap, uh, and but the the process of unfolding or flowering is exactly the same. At least from my examination, whether you're looking at Christian or or Zen, and I think any other mystical or or spiritual tradition that tries to map our spiritual development,
1: you're going to find parallels. Um, why? So so, your book is a form of spiritual companionship your tale, your story uh, your your autobiography is a is a form of spiritual companionship and a form of spiritual direction but can you speak a little more about what you think um, What do you think is the appeal? What do you think the appeal would be for spiritual directors and spiritual companions of reading a book like yours?
2: I think people will recognize uh, their own unfolding because we share a lot more in common than, than, than make us unique and separate. We are unique. And each, and that gives us a sense of, of a sense of separateness, but we have there are so many more parallels than there are uh, things that separate us. So anyone's story is going to stimulate your own story and your own unfolding, and your and make you think about your own companions and the people who were important in your life that were um, mentors or teachers or sages that uh, called forth from you or or kind of bumped you in the right direction. Uh, You know, the best teacher doesn't teach you anything. They invite you to to explore and investigate for yourself. And they're really good at uh, presenting that invitation. And I think reading my story will stimulate your thought about your own story, uh, about who was significant in your life Uh, And how did they uh, spark or become a catalyst for your own uh, expanding awareness and uh, integration and maturity?
1: You're you're a kind of, uh, I'll describe you as a multimodal uh, spiritual companion, right? So you have, you're obviously, you're a Zen master, a Roshi, you're a psychotherapist, and you've been trained as a spiritual director some decades ago as well. And you've spoken about this in the past, but I think it'd be useful if you um, describe why you um, like to have these multiple modalities at your disposal and why any one of them um, may not be sufficient.
2: Well, I explore all those areas because uh, they were all needed, (laughs) you know. um, I don't know if I carry more baggage than the next person or not, but uh, the baggage that I carried uh, really needed a lot of work. And uh, these different modalities helped me work through it. I thought originally, as I began the path that I was getting this education to help others but I, I relatively soon realized, no, I need all this education to help myself, to unscramble myself and to help myself uh, grow and unfold and, and mature. I needed all these different modalities. So one of the best ways to, to uh, uh, get these modalities is to try and teach them uh, or share them with others. But, you know, Zen, is a great practice and and my Quaker practice in helping us learn how to be nurtured by the silence or the quiet power or the uh, inner light that uh, can help support and inform and uh, expand our vista of awareness. Great. But then how do you... When that, if you turn that light inward, you see all of your, you should see all of your um, shortcomings and bruises and traumas and uh, places of your karmic baggage. And then how do you untangle that? Well, I needed more than just something to expand my awareness. I needed the, the practice of psychology and my own analysts, and my very best companions to help me unscramble the background karmic baggage that I was carrying. And I think we all carry a measure of that. We don't even know we're carrying it in, the, in our backpack often. often, But it's usually there, and it weights us down. And unless we're on a, a strenuous climb, we may not even know that we're carrying it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting because these these three modalities and multiple others that I that I know you embody uh, kind of follow a, a pattern that's pretty familiar at least in Western culture, right? Where you acquire knowledge, more and more certificates on the wall. You're a psychotherapist, you're a Zen master, you're you're a gardener, you're a biker, you're you know you have all of these modalities, and you know more and more as you get older. So maturity is equated with knowledge acquisition in some way. And yet, um, reading your book kind of leads to the opposite conclusion, which is the more you acquire, the less you have. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that.
2: Well, examining um, my own condition, the human condition, the planet's condition. I'm left with more mysteries than answers, and this, in fact, learning how to deal with not knowing is a lot of what I think maturity is about. So, the more you know, the less you know—something uh, like that—and and the more questions that you have, and the more that you're able to see the complexity of your own condition, the human condition, the cultural conditions, the, the complexity of the planet and, and our impact on the planet. And you start to scratch your head, uh, quite literally, and you're left with, I don't know. Um, uh, in some ways, it, it, it's hopeless in the sense that I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to fix me. I don't know how to fix you. I don't know how to fix uh, humanity. I don't know how to fix the planet. And yet, uh, I also gain the capacity to tolerate that that I don't know. And the ability to go on in a kind of um, faith of of experience in something beyond ourselves and beyond our species identity, saying, well, something's carrying us along. Um, let's go for the ride and work out as much as we can at this uh, onion of the biosphere. And yes, the next uh, onion of the biosphere, which we will just be dust, um, we will have to, to continue the process of, uh, shall we say, um, uh, species uh, evolution. At best, at two hundred thousand years, our our species is in its young adolescence, uh, and we have a long way to go. So, how do we get to wherever we're going? I don't know. Will we survive our adolescence? I don't know. Uh, but you know, do I have the tools to be to go on the journey and to uh, work at it and to? Explore explore and investigate and uh, try to be kind while doing it, yeah, I think I've got the tools to do that at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so awakening in maturity means not knowing anything?
2: Well, on the big things, it's not knowing anything. And, you know, there's lots of little things that I know. As I say, the, the more you know, the less you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I know a lot more than I used to, and I know that I know a lot less than uh that I could ever hope to know, and that's okay. It's that's okay
1: for for all of those, you know, call them seekers or searchers or explorers, adventurers, whatever the, the right description is, um, who are looking to grow spiritually. What what's what kind of What's your chief advice for them uh, or recommendation? And, and I know your book talks a lot about this, but if you had to try to, if I forced you to try to summarize, um, what, what words of encouragement, support, or guidance would you have for people really seeking to grow spiritually? Well, two things. We need key
2: companions. We can't do it alone. No one can do it for us and we can't do it alone. So that's number one. Number two is that we need some way to expand our consciousness or awareness, some kind of practice that helps us with that, and also some kind of practice that helps us untangle the karmic baggage that we're bound to see that we're carrying if we do that first one. So we need need companions. No one can do it for us and yet we can't do it for ourselves. We need some sort of practice to expand our awareness and consciousness into something way beyond our narrow ego sense of identity. And then we need something to help us unscramble our ego identity uh, to make it more functional and have more equanimity in the world.
1: Yeah. Okay, so final, final question is death. Right um, in this this moment of multiple pandemics, um, I think there's there's probably a higher generalized awareness of death, impending death knocking at the door. Uh, for most people, death invokes dread and fear, and you know, let me run away, let me run away. What what would you say about that? and some other people talk? You know, I was having a conversation with Joan a couple of days ago. And where death is seen as more of an invitation or an invitation to more, to becoming. What would you say about death, quote unquote? Is it, is it something to be feared? Is it something dreadful or is it something else?
2: Well, I don't think it's something to be feared. Uh, it's just a natural part of uh, growth and unfolding is also withering and dying and there's you know i worry about having more limitations and i worry some about how much pain will there be in the dying process Uh, everybody i think worries about that if we live so long and so there's some fright around it but not about death itself Uh, you know from both a physics and a spiritual way of looking at things, nothing's created or destroyed. Uh, It's all just unfolding and getting remixed all the time. Um, And so whoever I am and whoever you are, on some level has always been and will always be. Not in the discrete identity that you and I uh, think of ourselves, but I don't think anything's lost and anything's... uh, Created or destroyed. Now, when I say there's no creation, I don't mean that the whole universe is an expanding universe and it's unfolding. And I think consciousness, in a way, is unfolding. And and so, uh, Carl Jung, famous psychologist, talked about the collective unconscious. We're already a part of that collective unconscious. And before we were born, we were a part of that collective unconscious. And after we're dead, we're part of that collective unconscious. And I think of uh, Suru Suzuki, who talked about life being, uh, going off a waterfall and uh, you become a little droplet and you have this almost false sense of separate identity from the river, but then you return to the river, you're still a part of the river, nothing's actually lost. And, and your identity, your discrete identity is lost. But uh, everything that went into that drop is still there. Everything that is with that drop still goes back to the river. And you're still, our individual identities are just assumed into the river. The river's a nice place to be.
1: Well, one more question, because I just, I just remember that this uh, making a plug for your workshop at the conference because it ties in with a lot of the themes in the book might be a good idea. So again uh, tell us a little bit about the workshop you're going to be offering at the STI conference here in a couple of weeks.
2: Well it's going to be about spiritual awakening and development and the gates that uh, we all go through. To in the process of exploring and awakening and expanding our awareness and our consciousness and some of the trials and tribulations that go along with that and also what it might expose in terms of uh, uh, looking inward and seeing our own shadow too. I'll cover some of that. But I'll be looking specifically at... Two maps of spiritual development, one from the Zen tradition and one from the Christian tradition and overlapping them in a way to show the parallels uh, between St. Teresa of Avilia and and uh, the 10 Zen herding pictures and and looking at the parallels between those two maps of spiritual awakening and unfolding.
1: Wonderful. Um, well, thank you. I don't have anything more unless you do. And uh, congratulations on this um, on this book, which is available, uh, which is now available from SDI Press. And you can buy it at the SDI store. Congratulations on well, I have, I have one, <laughs> one question for you. OK. What, yeah.
2: what, what, you are the one who helped encourage me to write this book. Why for SDI?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I think for the same reasons that you described earlier, I think your story is yes, unique, but it's also universal. And, um, you know, as I'm reading your book, as I've been reading your book uh, numerous times, I find reflections of me in it. I find echoes of your story and of my own story in your story. So I think the book that you offered that you're offering to all of us is an invitation uh, paradoxically for all of us to look at ourselves and to kind of use the mirrors that you provide for our own um, discovery and and our own path towards unknowing as you were saying so um, you're a great stand-in for everyone
2: it's been fun to be working on this process with you
0: The new book, Reflections on Awakening and Maturity for Spiritual Companions by Genja Marinello, is now available from SDI Press. You can purchase it on our website, sdicompanions.org. The book is also available from amazon.com. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast. your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.